think that uh, much of the drama is still to come. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. In the wake of the 2008 global financial crisis, central banks drove interest rates down to unprecedented lows and kept them there for the better part of a decade. The world economy then became addicted, some would say dependent, upon a zero-cost capital world. But now, inflation is forcing interest rates to rise sharply around the globe at the fastest pace on record. And this sea change in rates is depressing economic growth, shocking the financial system, and resulting in one of the worst years in history for stocks and bonds. To find out where things are likely headed from here, we sit down with the world's top expert on interest rates, James Grant, esteemed publisher of Grant's Interest Rate Observer. Jim, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Adam. Well, it's always a pleasure. And um, Jim, uh, the only time I wear <laughs> bow ties anymore, tie them anymore, is, is when you come on in, in homage uh, to your wonderful nappy fashion sense. Um, I'm looking at just how perfectly crisp your tie is, though, and realizing that my skills have, have really uh, degraded since the last time I had to do this. Well, I think, Adam, that uh, 45 years or so more experience, you're going to be right up there in the vanguard. <laughs> oh, thanks. One, one more thing for me to aspire to in life, Jim, but you set a high bar. Um, all right, look, I've got a, a lot of questions for you. I asked uh, my audience in advance of this interview if they had any questions for you. I think that was a mistake because I literally got <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of them. Very hard to boil them down. Uh, but before we get into the specifics, um, I just want to toss out a general question just as a starting off point here. It's okay. my normal question. What is your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Um... <laughs> Answer any way you like. Well, they're rather a mess, and they are a mess because uh, I think of the consequences of the interest rate regime you described in your over generous introduction, Adam. Uh, interest rates literally have uh, been at 4,000 or so year lows. Uh, they, in fact, plumbed sub zero lows uh, at one point in 2020, no fewer than $18 trillion worth of. Uh, so-called fixed income securities were priced to yield less than nothing, which would seem to be on its face a, a non sequitur, an absurdity, uh, but certainly it's a reflection of the, of the unprecedentedly radical and intrusive monetary policy of our central banks. So when the price of capital, when the, at least with the money market interest rate, shall we, there is kind of this, treasury bill area of the so-called yield curve, when these very short-term rates are priced at zero or even less, people do all sorts of crazy things with money. There's a Victorian financial thinker and journalist called Walter Badgett, who proposed that uh, John Bull, he said, he's English, alluding to the national symbol. John Bull can stand many things, but he can't stand 2%, meaning that a rate as low as, you know, like plus 2%, uh, would cause people to, uh, uh, to, as we say now, reach for yield to uh, maintain their standard of living or the growth in their value of the portfolio or something. So, so they would, uh, you know, they would do things like, oh, they invest in uh, in uh, non fungible tokens, maybe, or in uh, some crazy venture capital promotion or private equity scheme or. Uh, um, uh, 
a bar of, uh, of tungsten. Tungsten was a thing once in a while, not so long ago. Um, so this is what happened the world over. Zero percent rates got uh, people thinking about anything and everything they wish to speculate. And uh, fold in over that, uh, like zero cost commissions, uh, a lot of downtime with which to watch CNBC and to listen to Adam Taggart. Not that they went wrong <laughs> by listening to Adam Taggart, but and uh, we had uh, what we know was the everything bubble. And I think I think the, the context in which to frame today's events is the legacy of those zero percent rates, the behavior that those rates helped to induce and the, uh, the wild and crazy uh, Bloomberg screen that lights up and you can hardly believe what you see. All right, so basically they, they deformed the price of money by uh, keeping rates incredibly low, deformed the price of capital. Um, and uh, no huge surprise, malinvestment ensued. Um, we are now on the other side of that coin where um, rates have risen off the floor at the sharpest rate of change. I, I think that's on record, or at least in, in the data sets that I've looked at. Yeah. Um, so uh, the system is to a certain extent now um, going into shock over this. Um, we're seeing economic growth slow down really fast. We're seeing the worst start or one of the worst starts of the year for, for stocks and bonds. Mm -hmm. um, some would argue, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, that we haven't seen the worst of the shock uh, from this this sudden and sharp rise in interest rates, um, because there tends to be, you know, a delay when between when the Fed pulls a lever and and when we see the full manifestation of that. Um, so I, I guess on that question, um, uh, a, do you agree with sort of the way I just described things, and, and and do you see some of the shock waves from from what's already been done, let alone what might be done from here, uh, continuing to propagate through the system for for some time? Yes, I think the shock waves will be rather long lasting. You know, um, uh, for context, uh, uh, the last time interest rates had a sustained move to the upside. In Wall Street jargon, the last time there was a major bond bear market uh, began 1946, and uh, that bear market lasted until 1981. So they began this bear market began at a yield of say two and a quarter percent, and it ended famously or infamously at 15 percent. That was the 35-year bond bear market of the post-war era, and. Um, uh, it took that two and a quarter percent yield 10 years to rise to three and a quarter. Wow. That was the tempo, adagio or largo uh, was the tempo of that particular bear market. And uh, uh, compare and contrast the present day when, uh, I don't know, the, uh, one forgets a little bit how extraordinary it is or one gets dulled to the fact of it's being so extraordinary. But I think mortgage rates uh, began the year like about two percent, and they're now seven seven percent plus. I mean, it's uh, and uh, you know, some of these um, money market interest rates began the year like nothing, and are four percent. So this is quite extraordinary, and indeed, I think unprecedented. Interest rates have a a long history. In fact, somewhere behind me is a book called The History of Interest Rates, which I commend to <laughs> well to people who like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And in that book, you will see. Uh, uh, many things. What you will not see 
because it has not been uh, revised in the past few years, you will not see an episode just as we saw in 1920 through 21 and 22, where you go from $18 trillion worth of securities yielding less than nothing to like none of them yielding or almost nothing yieldless. And it's really, uh, it's quite a, uh, a head snapper. Mm -hmm. All right, so there's lots of implications from that, which which we'll hopefully have time to dig into here. Um, let me just ask you at a at a high level here. Uh, what are these rates telling you right now? Oh, they're telling me that uh, on the, well on the hopeful side of the of the issue, they're telling me that uh, the world is adjusting and coming a little bit to its senses, and uh, and compensating. Uh, capital for the risk it bears for getting out of the bed in the morning and, and trying to do something constructive, lend, you know, being the object of a loan or an investment. So that's to the good. Um, I think it, it reminds us, does this uh, unprecedented up-tempo rise in rates, it reminds us of the level and duration of suppression of rates. There was a storyline that became quite popular, indeed quite profitable, over the past dozen years or so that held uh, that we live in a time of, uh, got very fancy, of secular disinflation. So secular meaning not, not uh, religious, that's uh, alludes to the long-term nature of the move. So they say there is a secular deflation or disinflation and interest rates will be low indeed approximately forever. And Ben S. Bernanke, PhD, the uh, recent Fed chairman, uh, indeed, the winner and, and of the recent Nobel, Nobel Prize. Prize yes, <laughs> I think he said uh, <laughs> interest rates will not uh, rise significantly in our lifetimes, which prompted me to say many years ago, "Well, he's not a he's not a young man." Was Ben Bernanke, but mm -hmm. um, uh, but he was he was right for a long time, and interest rates remained uh, 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 low and, as we say at Grant's lawn level, and uh, you began to think, "Well, maybe these guys are onto something." Maybe, but uh, no, it turns out that there was, it was a case of, um, of main force, uh, of, of a muscular suppression of rates by the central banks, I think. That's one of the things I read into this snapback. It's like you know, this proverbial beach ball held underwater and it pops to the surface. Um, you know, I never did get around, Adam, to uh, taking a crack at the question of, um, of the consequences of the suppression and now the release of these rates. Where will this manifest and what will it mean and when will it present itself in its full glory or a full fright? And I think to take uh, an opening swipe of this question, I think that much of it is still ahead of us. You know, the companies uh, don't pay interest every day. They pay it in a bond in the case of a, 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 an issuer of bonds every six months. So it takes a while for companies to uh, uh, to scrabble around and to try to uh, adjust uh, matters with their banks and to uh, and to to try to organize themselves. And, they, and they, only later they find out that really they can't generate the cash flow with which to service the debt. Mm -hmm. And then so so that that there there are lags, just as you suggested. So I think that uh, much of the drama is still to come. <clears throat> All right, and. Um... I'd be curious to to sort of speculate with you, you know, how that will manifest. Um, you know, for example, uh, I was interviewing a fellow on this channel a week or so ago about, um, you know, what are defined as zombie corporations. Um, and there's a lot of 
a lot of different estimates out there about what percentage of the U.S. corporate fleet is a zombie corporation. Um, but I think we can say it's it's non-trivial. Um, and so could this potentially manifest that we see sort of a, a mass die-off of that end of the corporate spectrum? Yes, or a mass, not so much a die-off as a change in the structure of ownership. Um, we have right. uh, we have bankruptcy procedures and uh, the bondholders and senior creditors are the ones that come into the equity portion of a company's uh, capital structure when things don't go as, as uh, planned. A zombie uh, uh, is, as I understand it, is a company that does not uh, uh, cover its interest expense out of operating cash flow. And uh, the numbers one sees are surprisingly large, surprisingly large percentage of uh, of the tech world, for example, answers that description. Um, uh, so I, yeah, and, and you know, there's private equity as well. It used to be called leverage buyouts, but the, uh, the shambles of the LBO crash of the late 1980s uh, kind of prompted a rebranding. So now we call it private equity, but a private equity company is one that has been uh, taken out of the public markets and placed into the hands of promoters through the generous application of debt. And the, uh, as you can imagine, as the years of uh, so-called 0% uh, interest rate induced prosperity have rolled on, people have gotten bolder and bolder with regard to how much debt they're willing to slather on to one of these companies. And uh, indeed, uh, they have slathered a great deal and the margin for error is not so wide. And, but as we have already noted, interest rates have gone up and up and up and, um, and suddenly uh, an interest uh, budget that was say 200 million is now you know, kind of 350 million. Can we, can we do this? I, I guess we can do it, but whom do we have to fire? Not us, right? Nope, not us. Well, we'll maybe some of the employees will, will volunteer. So um, there, is, uh, there is the, uh, all this is working its way into the system. You know, and there's a chance of course that um, Again, one cannot dogmatize on these things. My goodness, I made that mistake too often in the past, yeah, 50, 50 years. Um, but uh, because interest rates uh, will not keep going up at this rate. You know, they, 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 if they did, they would be um, uh, surpassing the old highs by Easter or some such. So uh, one always leaves room for the unexpected uh, in one's own pet scenario. But I think the odds are that the normalization of rates such as it has, be, has been is going to uh, uh, be uh, an important story for many fiscal quarters to come. Okay, um, <clears throat> I, I, wanna, I wanna ask you this question um, sort of market related a little bit, but, um, but then we'll get more into the details of markets later on in the conversation. Um, as rates continue to go higher from here, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like you're saying you you, you see at least the near-term trajectory is, is still higher for the rates. I do. Um, uh, it, it is going to con con uh, continue the current building negative wealth effect, right? So um, we're seeing uh, a sell-off in markets, right? I mean, and there was a, a correlation between cost of capital going up and an asset financial asset prices, especially right. ones that have been based off of, you know, basically free capital, <laughs> uh, free cost, zero cost of capital beforehand. Um, so we're seeing that both in the financial markets, but we're also, as you indicated, we're seeing it in the housing market as well, right? 
Um, and the housing market, I think, is still very early on in its correction, just from a mathematical, you know, yes, increase increase in the mortgage rates because because of the the relationship between interest mortgage rates and price. The prices just have to come off. They've not come off nearly as much as as mortgage rates have increased so far. And and housing is much more commonly owned than stocks. So you you can make an argument that the depressive effect of a negative uh, wealth effect in housing is even more meaningful to consumer spending than than what happens in the stock markets. But anyways, regardless, we've got both barrels of the shotgun on the negative wealth effect side. Right. That that's going to bring down consumer spending, which will contribute to the margin compression that companies are experiencing right now. Right, so they're seeing. In some cases, reduced demand already, uh, but they're also seeing a higher cost of capital and, and, and higher costs just from inflation in general. So you can make an argument that that may lead to layoffs, which could contribute to even further reductions in consumer spending. So I'm not necessarily saying this is exactly what's going to happen from here, but are you concerned that these are the types of repercussions that we're going to see from these increasing rates that will then you know, continue to really impact the economy in a negative way going forward? Well, I can't do any better with the answer to that question than you did with the asking of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a big honor. Thank you. I think the, uh, the sequence of events you laid out is exactly the one I would have thought of had I been clever enough to think of it. So I will go with the, I will, I will say yes to that question. <laughs> I, I just had a life highlight here. Okay. But, but, um, <laughs> But but basically, I, I guess we're we're like minded then, which is in terms of expecting further shoes to drop in the story. Um, yes, there, terms... this is, yeah, this is the, the the interest rate induced uh, uh, deformation, as you so well put it, is like a centipede. All sorts of shoes, and uh, they'll be clattering to the floor of the bedroom as we proceed. Okay, um, and like I said, I, I'm trying not to jump the gun and, and ask, like, okay, so you know, what does this do to asset prices and markets? What, what, we're ticker, what, there. What, what names are we using in here? Is the, yeah. <laughs> the phrase you're reaching for? <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, but but um, th th as you said, we're not going to be able to continue on this pace of, of rate increases because by Easter we'll ex have exceeded the heights of the Volcker era. Um, uh, so there, and there is some sort of threshold here where the economy is just going to roll over and basically go into cardiac arrest. Um, and whatever number that is, whatever rate that is, it's probably a much lower rate than it was back in the Volcker era because we have so much debt, more debt in the system now. Um, so I'm just curious, is there a rate at which you begin to think, OK, I, I got to expect parts of the economy you know, wheels to start coming off, engines to start seizing up because we just can't function above X percent. Well, you know, the, the economy is, uh, this, by the way, the word the economy is one of these, um, it's, I guess, in its nature, uh, amorphous. And uh, I mean, the economy is people getting out of bed in the morning and trying to make something, right? It's, it's a, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm much more comfortable talking about um, the micro situation than the, the grandiose one, but uh, uh, the economy, insofar as we can conceive it, or is is a is 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 an adaptive thing, and I and I'm I'm rather impressed that the um, at the at the um, adaptation that uh, we have already seen. I'd say the th the, th the thing continues to work, and I have been reading 
predictions that uh, as soon as the federal funds rate gets to uh, two or two and a half or three or four, that everything stops. Well, it hasn't. Um, now, uh, these interest rates as towering as they are compared to where they have been in recent years are still way below the measured rate of inflation. Mm -hmm. you know, we're still, we're still, uh, we're wait, awaiting new, as we say, awaiting new data. We are data dependent. We are data anxious, but it's still 8% as we, as we count it up. It would be higher if we counted the old way, but we are counting at 8%. And the federal and then 10 year treasury yield is like a four number. In the, so um, uh, creditors are still not being paid as they have been customarily paid with a rate of interest or rate of coupon yield above the rate of inflation. Um, so I, I, so yes, I expect the uh, uh, rates to, to press higher and um, I expect uh, noises off as, uh, um, uh, as these rates uh, do uh, get, into a, a, get into the works of a highly leveraged economy and, 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 and they may uh, crimp things and, and, and uh, create crises and I don't know, they, um, I think private equity is a, is a very good candidate for uh, the first theater of operations in interest rate induced corporate crisis. Um, and is that, it, it, and I'm curious on that. So to borrow a phrase from Stephanie Pomboy, it sounds like you're saying those are some of the bodies that you first expect to start floating to the surface here. Um, is that, uh, is that, is that something that can kind of happen and we can, we can move past it or is that you use the term crisis? Is that something that could trigger a larger cascade? It, it, it can trigger a larger cascade. It's, it's a three, I think it's a $3 trillion uh, phenomenon uh, this private equity business, but you know, it, uh, I, that's, so that's one, maybe it's rather too obvious, but you know, you know, it's a, it's, it's an interesting and, and kind of counterintuitive uh, possibility for uh, a point of difficulty, if not of crisis is the treasury market itself. Now the, the US treasury is a commandingly strong uh, issuer of debt. No, I mean, it, it has, at least conceptually, it has um, the entire <laughs> GDP of the United States of America at its disposal through the taxing power, not to mention the Grand Canyon, other resources and assets it could probably pawn. So it's um, at least, a, you know, to be sure, it's split rated. Uh, uh, Sandrin Poor's doesn't make it any more than double A plus, but S&P, Moody's has it triple A. But the, um, the treasury market is, um, is, a, is a structure that is uh, is largely leveraged. It's leveraged because the primary dealers, so-called, the two dozen or so um, uh, financial institutions that that are um, privileged to uh, deal as counterparties with the Fed, are themselves highly leveraged. They borrow the money with which to hold their bond inventories, and uh, they have not. Ex uh, I was about ready to say experienced. The word is suffered. They have not really suffered a prolonged about of rising interest rates in the careers of the people who manage and work for them. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the treasury market um, exhibited all sorts of uh, tendencies towards dysfunction well before this interest rate drama started. There was a episode in uh, September, 2019. This is kind of a recondite inside baseball thing, but the, uh, the so-called repurchase market, it was a market uh, 
in borrowed funds, borrowed funds used to finance inventories of treasury. That market stopped functioning um, in the way the Fed wanted it to function. And, and uh, the, the cost of borrowing money with which to buy a treasury bond in the wholesale market got 10% for an instant in September, 2019. The Fed says, whoa, that is not smooth functioning. Smooth functioning is a term of art by the Fed uses. So the Fed to, uh, uh, to reinstitute smooth functioning began to buy treasury bills and Jerome Powell got and said, now this is not QE, we stopped that. And, uh, and everyone said, oh yeah, that's QE. <laughs> and everyone was right and Mr. Powell mm -hmm. was wrong. And so the Fed blinked and, uh, and, uh, and restarted its credit pumping in September, 2019. And then of course, uh, uh, torqued that way up and uh, under the pandemic regimen of 2020. So that, but the, the, the treasury market uh, is surprisingly fragile. And uh, I could imagine, uh, uh, and, 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 you're, and you're hearing from among other things, Secretary of the Treasury Yellen saying, well, you know, we might have to do something about the, uh, at the treasury market, to right? Uh, I don't like the way it's uh, it's creaking and the noises it's making. It sounds like an old steam radiator the first day of winter. So what we might have to do is uh, is uh, is issue treasuries, uh, issue treasury bills, and with the proceeds of that issuance, buy treasury bonds. Now, uh, that sounds a little bit like QE, doesn't it? Or it sounds a little like yield curve control, and, so, right. and certainly it sounds like meddling. And my abiding complaint with the masters of our national finances is they will not let markets clear and they will suffer no pain uh, that can't be avoided through uh, you know an artful intervention and what they but they seem also they seem incapable of looking to the consequences of their interventions especially imagining the unpleasant ones so the the interventions of September 2019, uh, got us on an inflationary path that turned into something rather more serious in 2020, 21, and 2022. And they're saying, oh, we didn't expect that. No, no, <laughs> you're always surprised. They're always right. surprised. There's a, uh, there's a demotivational poster that I like to show <laughs> on this channel. Um, you know, the, the posters you see and the motivational ones you see in, in offices, this is a, the dark version of that. And it's called, I'll see if I can put it up here on the screen, but it's called government. Um, it says, I'm doing this from memory, but it says, uh, if you don't like the problems we create, just wait till you get to a load of our solutions. <laughs> so, so, so sounds like you're saying like that's just well, yeah, but, but, but you know this is world but uh you know public sector private sector we're talking about humanity and humanity is a uh, we are a uh, pro-cyclical species you know we we buy high and sell low that seems to be a, a dna problem and uh uh and uh, but but the fed is itself a pro-cyclical uh, outfit right it tightens into downturns and uh, and loosens into uh, inflations uh, witness the uh, the qe that uh, persisted into i think march of this year and it's extraordinary mm -hmm. so um uh, the fed uh, I, I don't I, in in making these uh, these kind of these little sermons or sermonettes against intervention i don't mean to suggest that uh, uh, that human beings acting in markets un unintruded by uh, central banks are going to make a crisis-free world. They won't. We, we have plenty of that demonstrated in the credit events of the 19th century. 
but I think the I think the uh, the persistent and um, and and deeply um, costly uh, problem that comes with 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 uh, habitual interventions is that is that little problems become big ones and big problems become titanic ones, and the titanic ones uh, become socially and politically poisonous, and we get people like certain presidents one can name that. Uh, that seem to bring out the worst in us. And now I'm gonna stop saying that kind of thing because we're talking about interest rates. All right, well, look, I, I wanna actually go to inflation now because um, uh, that is what's been forcing the current central bank hand. And, um, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna get to the question of, you know, is there intervention done here? In other words, could we see a pivot at some point back to, the extreme interventions that we've seen over the past, you know, recent years. Real quick though, before I do, just because you brought it up, you said the U.S. Treasury market is surprisingly fragile, and and we have been noting on this program the past couple of weeks, you know, the the concerning reduction in liquidity there and the increased volatility in, in uh, Secretary Yellen's comments. How nuclear would it be if if we had a real breakdown in the U.S. Treasury market? Um, I think it would be great copy for interest rate themed financial journals, for one thing. It would, I think, uh, uh, it would inspire or uh, drive the narrative that the 10-year treasury yield is the most important price on the planet. We can't price assets without a smoothly functioning treasury. And that would con contribute to uh, uh, the discombobulation of uh, all markets. However, I think that a unsmoothly functioning and troubled treasury market would be an excellent um, reminder about the state of our public finances. Look, the, 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 the feds, the, you know, the authorities, the treasury and the feds, we, uh, they say, we don't, have a, we don't have a stock market put anymore, but they will not deny that we have a bond market put, right? They, 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 they are prepared and they are, make no bones about being prepared to intervene to promote the smooth function of the treasury. But I say that this, the treasury market ought to be uh, discontinuous and illiquid and, uh, and unsatisfactory if the supply of securities is greater than the demand for securities at prevailing prices. So the way to, to, way to fix a dysfunctional market is to make the product a better priced and lo and behold, people wanna own it. But if you suppress interest rates for a dozen years and you allow them up in a measured way still below the rate of inflation, maybe the problem, not to overthink this, but maybe it's all mispriced. And if it's mispriced, let's price it properly. That, that, that's a great point. So you would actually say it, that it's a, it would be a positive development yeah, because we'd be letting natural market forces find true water. The shoe ought to pinch. And then they say, oh no, <laughs> you, wear a size, you wear a size 10, well, let's try a size 12, just to make sure it's, it's roomy. <laughs> No, but but, but there are but uh, uh, falling prices are uh, Mr. Market's way of saying that uh, that something is out of balance, and indeed, the public debt, uh, to cite a somewhat familiar set of data, has gone from uh, one trillion when Ronald Reagan came on television to say we got to one trillion. This is 1981. So what else do you have to know about the state of our? One trillion dollars. You know, one, and they say, but one trillion dollars. If you stack one dollar bills to a trillion, they got to the moon. Or 
Um, okay, that was then, and now it's 31 trillion. So it took from 1789 to 1981 to get to a trillion. Now, uh, no more gold standard, no more, uh, you know, no more constraints, no more sh pinching shoes. And now we're at 31 trillion. So I think that the treasury market ought to be dysfunctional. All right, that's a that's a great point. So while the headlines might be um, apocalyptic, and and certainly there would be disruption and in, in near term pain, we probably actually should look at, at it as a welcome thing to um, hopefully right because, price yeah, because our there's, no, there's no more. You know, in the day there were two things that constrained um, excessive borrowing and lending. One was the uh, the nature of the currency itself. It was uh, mm -hmm. collateralized by a precious mostly gold. And that ended for America uh, in 1971. And the other thing that constrains it is a, is a market-derived, sensible uh, rate of interest, which rations credit. And that ended for us in the cycle in 2009, 10, 11. So, so um, with, with neither market-derived rates nor with collateralized currency, we're kind of out there floating like Mary Poppins. You know, it's a, and uh, that, I think, explains the uh, uh, the the disorder of our finances is what it's, it's, it's disorderly, right? I mean, the, uh, people are doing crazy things. Elon Musk is a figurehead of disorderly finance. And uh, it seems to me that it ought to be a little bit less newsworthy. <laughs> and also we ought to hear less from our monetary masters. Adam, if, if I were in charge of things, we wouldn't even know the name of the Fed chairman. <laughs> Well, so I was going to get there in a bit, but why don't we go there right now? So, Jim, uh, I make you emperor of America. What what reforms would be at the top of your list? Everyone's got to wear a damn bow tie. Sorry. Okay. Well, clearly. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, but if 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 my remit were um, uh, properly and perhaps uh, uh, more reasonably limited to the monetary realm. What I would do on day one is say, ladies and gentlemen, we are um, uh, markets are a nice thing, and we and we uh, we have for too long ignored them, and we are going to uh, uh, restore uh, uh, the discipline and the order and the outcomes, sensible and constructive outcomes that come with uh, uh, with uh, markets that function properly. So you are going to hear less from us at the Fed. And uh, in fact, I hope that we are going to become invisible. You, you will not see us intervening to uh, straighten out uh, difficulties in the treasury market. They ought to be, perhaps be attending to their own supply and demand issues over there in the treasury book. And we are not going to come and rescue the 401ks. We wish you well, but we are going to uh, uh, make it so that uh, there's no inflation, no uh, opposite of inflation. We are going to, uh, yeah. So we're going to recede constructively into the wallpaper. And uh, if I had my druthers, I might say a tale of mine, I would like a reversion to the uh, classical world of a classical gold standard. Now, that is a most unconventional thought, as orthodox as it used to be. And I will not ram that down anyone's throat, but just think it over a little bit. In the meantime, we're going to uh, 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 you know, just uh, become a little bit less obtrusive. That's my speech. Okay, so uh, go back to a a, uh, a backed monetary system, possibly gold. In terms of um, setting interest rates, yep. would the Fed do that in your world, or would it be a market set interest rate, and the Fed really would just be there for emergencies to provide 
you know, short-term liquidity. The, 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 I mean, every central bank in the classical gold standard era set the discount rate at which it would lend against eligible collateral. That was a classic regime of the Bank of England and of the Fed when it started. It didn't last very long in the Fed. But uh, the trouble is not with a central bank um, establishing a rate at which the gold value of the currency is properly sustained. The problem, I think, rather enters the picture when the central bank uh, gets ambitious and says, the you know, long-dated bonds ought to be uh, 2%. Right. Like the, or the Bank of Japan ought to be one quarter of 1%. So uh, long-term yields ought to find themselves in the marketplace. That ought to, that ought to be a market, uh, 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 market uh, see, uh, uh, discovered. Oh, so that's a wonderful word, uh, discovered in the marketplace rather than enforced from on high. Right, and many would say, and I believe you would too, is we haven't had true price discovery in the markets for a long time because of all this intervention. We have not, and, and we have also become accustomed to the, uh, the coaching and the covet, uh, and the, uh, I would say coveting, not, uh, the coaching from the sidelines uh, the likes of Jay Powell. So he gets a, he has a press conference and he, he gives a little, little forward guidance. And what does forward guidance mean? It means that uh, they are telling you um, how it's going to go. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I would say that he has no, uh, as intelligent a man as Jay Powell, as well-intended as he is, he has no better clue than the guy who's driving his cab where interest rates are going. He's shown that he has no better clue as to where inflation is going to come. He has no better clue, and the Fed has no better clue as to what the confluence of credit forces might do in 2007, given uh, the uh, excesses on display for the previous 10 years. I had no idea what's happening. So um, the Fed ought to get out of the stargazing business. It certainly ought to get out of the business of pretending that it has a view of the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to your point about the cabbie, I mean, when you look at the Fed's uh, success rate in terms of predicting where things like inflation are going to go, I bet you the cabbie's probably better. Hey, you've got a pretty miserable track record. Um, all right. Well, look, let's get back to the, the inflation uh, conversation. So um, uh, having read some of your recent pieces, uh, it seems to me that you think that stagflation is going to be the order of the day for a good while from here. If that's incorrect, please uh, please, please correct me here. Um, but in, in providing your reaction to that, can you give us your sense for um, how committed you think the major central banks, primarily the Fed, are to doing what they need to do to get inflation down to the targets they want it to be. Yeah. Um, because we're, you know, for everybody expected the Fed to pivot a lot, or most people expected the Fed to pivot before here. Uh, but we are now beginning to see banks, central banks blink around the world, right? We saw it in, in Europe, in England, Bank of England. We're seeing it now in Japan. We just saw it this morning with the Bank of Canada. They, they did just hike a little bit more, but less than forecast. So it looks like they're beginning to maybe lose their resolve a little bit. What do you think? Um, I think stagflation is likely. I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I can't say I'm overly confident that outlook, but I think that's likely. Um, I think that, um, uh, that one of the features of the present day is the, uh, is the collective attention span. 
and um, uh, people say, uh, uh, yeah, they're gonna blink because inflation will have peaked. Uh, last summer I had uh, our very uh, uh, talented and enterprising intern, Declan Hurley, I had him go back and read uh, news articles from the 1970s, every year in the 1970s, looking for the phrase, inflation is peaking. And every year, uh, some eminence from Wall Street or Washington would say, yeah, it's, um, it's not over now, it's uh, peaking. <laughs> and uh, it was one supply shock after another in oil and other things. And, uh, and then the Fed uh, declared victory prematurely and, and, and the inflation that began in 1965 and 66, it was 1967 that uh, then uh, Fed Chairman William McChesney Martin said the horse of inflation is out of the barn, 1967. And it peaked in 1980 in the CPI and it peaked in the bond market in 1981, but retested in 84. So it was almost 20 years yes. of inflationary mood music <laughs> or inflation itself. And uh, so everyone here is, is looking for, yeah, Okay, it'll it'll peak in um, in the second week of November, <laughs> and and then and then we will anticipate a a glide down to two percent, and the stock market's going to rally fifty percent, no sixty five percent. CNBC's full of these guys, and uh, and who knows, right? But I think that we ought to uh, keep open one share of our collective anticipations for. Um, the possibility, not that we have a literal replay of the 70s history is not that obliging to give us a replay, but uh, ought to uh, at least admit the possibility of, of an inflation that is rather more deeply entrenched than we acknowledge and that it crops up like, a, like one of these uh, forest fires, right? That is, that is, or a coal, underground coal fire that is that burns and then flares above ground. People say, oh, glad that's over. Then whoosh. Yep. <laughs> that's a great analogy, the underground coal fire. So I, th I think I think that is, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I was one of the ones that said, "Ah, Jay Powell, look at what he did," and uh, you know, name the year. They always blink. Um, that was a little bit too glib. But you know, they they have. I guess I'm repeating myself now, Adam. But they 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 have said, "Nope, no more equity market put. We're not going right. to rescue the stock." But they are prepared to rescue the Treasury bond market. And at our, our grants conference once a year, we had one last week, and Tom Honig, who was the uh, uh, the president of the Kansas City Fed, who, uh, who earned his bones by being the lone dissenter on QE in the early years of that uh, experiment, uh, Tom Honing, he said, uh, uh, when they came in in 2019 and said, we're not doing QE, this is after the so-called repo crisis, the repo rate got to 10% in September of 2019, he said, uh, uh, he quoted the, uh, the Fed saying, we're not, uh, we're not, um, uh, doing QE, we're just going to buy a lot of treasury bills. And Honing said, "Now that was QE, and the yeah. markets and the market knew it. <laughs> market knew it. it does, yeah, and it will know it again. So that so that is one possibility that, uh, say, uh, next couple of months we get inflation numbers that go from uh, it used to be eight, and say it's uh, six and a half. People say, "Ooh, that's that's pretty good." If you project that out for three or four months, we're back to two, right? And then next month you get uh, maybe. Six and five eighths. Oh God, that's not that's not going the right way. So so we are addicted on our phones to uh, uh, to having things uh, click and uh, and trends uh, be uh, inviolable over the course of it. So it's I don't think it's going to work that way. I think it's be rather more protracted, rather more flummoxing. Um, but 
um, as uh, things continue to droop and to drop on Wall Street, there will be opportunities of, of opening for people who are willing to uh, examine things a little bit less emotionally and uh, their bargains to be had. And uh, I, think, I, th I think it's uh, going to be okay for serious investors. Great. And, and so I want to I want to get straight into that part of the conversation real quick. I'm hoping you can kind of help me think through something my brain's been chewing on for a bit now, which is uh, totally understand everything you just said about why inflation very well may be a lot more protracted and messy uh, than we'd like to in terms of bringing it under control. Um, that being said, um, economic growth in general, I know that we're going to have a pretty, you know, two point high print for Q3. Um, but economic growth is, is definitely slowing around the world and, and no surprise, especially with rates increasing as quickly as they are. Um, we're going to have all the negative wealth effect elements that you and I talked about. Um, so the likelihood of a recession is pretty good. Bloomberg Economics puts it at 100 percent, but you know not, uh -oh. nothing's ever 100 percent in the so, world. Sounds like a boom to me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but but when I look at when I look at where the macro trends are heading, you know, sort of supply chain shortages aside for a moment, um, th there's a lot of uh, you know sort of deflationary hmm. trends that are going to be pulling economic growth down yep. and, and should be pulling yep. asset prices down. Yep. So if the Fed does pivot because something breaks, right? Um, and let's say the Fed goes back to QE, right? Um, two things. One, th there's there's always a delay uh, between pulling the lever and seeing the manifestation of that. And I think even if the Fed stopped hiking right now, we're going to see a few quarters probably of the ramifications of the hikes that have been done to date still playing through the system. And secondly, if the Fed does QE, yeah, I can see maybe financial asset prices getting a boost, but we had a ton of QE for the past 11 plus years, and it didn't manifest in higher CPI. It wasn't really until we had fiscal stimulus that directly injected liquidity into the, the, you know, the, the veins of the economy that, that things really started exploding. So even if the Fed pivoted, would would we really see a recurrence of CPI the way that we did back in the seventies when we were hiking, tightening, heightening, tightening? Oh, you know, um, one of the curious things about uh, the social science we call economics is that <laughs> e even you know follow the social science and it's not much of a rallying cry, is it? Is that? Uh, but the, it's not the, physics, is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, the roots of inflation are still controversial after all these millennia. That people will say um, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Mm -hmm. They say, yeah, well, well, except for, <laughs> well, they say it's always everywhere a supply chain. No. So um, I think that we are in inherently an inflationary society because inflation is basically uh, something for nothing. Inflation mm -hmm. is, uh, it's debt forgiveness. It is, uh, um, it is uh, uh, government uh, uh, stimulus. It is entitlements. It is uh, uh, it is consumption without corresponding production. Essentially, yes. that's that's the under underpinning of it. And, and it can solve today's can solve today's problems, and we'll let tomorrow's people figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to be sure, money supply is not growing. Uh, to be sure, there are all sorts of signs that. Uh, 
the supply of things is greater than the immediate demand witness inventories uh, that are problematic witness the uh, Christmas sales going on now and what month is it not, not December um, not even but, Black Friday yeah yeah but I I, I, I anyway so I, I I think that inflation is uh, is, 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 is partly, I know, I, I, I think it's going to persist as a problem. And I think it's not going to get back to 2%. And I think that the uh, bond yields are likely to be rising rather than falling. Um, they might well fall if we fall into a, in a you know, obvious uh, recession that the Fed is, I don't know, I'm, I'm now talking on both sides of my mouth, but I'm, I, I think my long-term view is that this is an inflationary era that paper money itself is prone to inflation, either of the asset kind or of the Main Street kind. And that if politics continue in their, I'm going to call it collectivist or statist vein, that we have uh, the, uh, uh, the continuous risk of the direct infusion of money into people's wallets that we experimented with in 2020 and 21. So I, I think that that is the backstory to our inflation. Okay, thank you. All right, well, let's get to your comment about um, for the investor who is you know paying attention um, as the story unfolds over the coming quarters, uh, there may be some opportunities to spy some, some value emerging. Um, this program is watched by regular people who I think really appreciate the macro trends that you and I have been talking about here, Jim. And, and their biggest question is just, okay, how do I how do I navigate this really like without becoming collateral damage <laughs> to, to these these great titanic forces that are going on? Um, you know, I, I guess first question is what's your market outlook? And then maybe we can get into, you know, what sort of guidance recommendations would you have for that average person with that that goal? Yeah. Well, I... Our interview with Jim will continue over in part two, which will be released on this channel tomorrow as soon as we're finished editing it. To be notified when it comes out, subscribe to this channel if you haven't already by clicking on the subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. And be sure to hit the like button too while you're down there. And remember, we're continuing our practice of publishing my top takeaways from these weekly interviews. To get mine from this interview with Jim for free, just go to Wealthion.com slash AdamsNotes. And finally, if the challenging macro outlook that Jim has detailed in this interview has you feeling a little nervous about the prospects for your wealth, then consider scheduling a free, no-strings-attached portfolio review by a financial advisor who can help manage your wealth, keeping in mind the trends and risks that Jim's mentioned here. Just go to Wealthion.com and we'll help set one up for you. Okay, I'll see you next in part two of our interview with James Grant.